once you see it, you can't unsee it. And no, not talking about your parents having sex, or the first time you watch a live league video, or the undeniable stink of Tolkien on the entire genre of modern fantasy. This week's episode isn't about any of those. It's about maybe the trope this phenomenon makes many of you think of, at least in writing. The trope you use when you want to have a group of characters based off the elements, when you want to have an ensemble cast, when you need more waifus for your harem gotcha JRPG mobile game. This week, we talk five-man bands on this episode of Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Waytad Nerd. I'm your host, William, and I will be your guide through probably one of the more interesting, but also probably a bit short episode topics that I've found in a while. Not to say that I think my other episodes are boring, but I find this really cool. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to thank you so much for listening. It means the world to have my show enter into your eardrums, travel through your cochlear nerve, and directly into your brain to give you brain damage. Didn't know that's what I was doing, huh? Uh, anyways, I, I don't have any uh, big announcements as of yet, but next week is officially one year of doing the show. So, thank you very much to everyone that's stuck with it so far. You're awesome, and I could have done it without your support. Uh, seeing the number go up makes my stupid little dopamine depraved brain... Depraved. Depraved, but also deprived brain happy. Uh, I will be doing something special next week to celebrate, just not entirely sure what yet. In the meantime, make sure to like the show, follow and subscribe, leave a review, uh, preferably a four or five star, uh, share it with your friends, and do all the other inter- interactivity things streamers and content streamers and content creators ask of you for me. It would be great. Uh, also, make sure to uh, check me out on YouTube. Uh, I might be uploading whatever I end up doing there. All right, on to the show. Okay, so as you heard in the intro, this episode is on five-man bands. And no, not like musical bands. I mean like a party of five people that is in a ton of fiction. And at its core, that's actually just the definition. A five-man band is a group of five primary characters that act as your story's leads. These characters will usually fall into a handy collection of character archetypes and tropes, and there's a number of common setups. Like... The classic, which is the one we're going to cover later, was the hero, lancer, heart, brain, and brawn. Or the lads and the lady, which is a token girl and her four brassefs. Then there's the 
one Oni, two Oni, red Oni, blue Oni, which is just an odd couple dynamic with like two to three characters take sides when the two of them disagree on something. Then there's the Devil's Pythagorean Theorem, that's a love interest pairing and probably a love triangle with a few supporting characters. Uh, there's also the Lazy Classic, where you come up with the hero, lancer, and heart, and then give up entirely and just label the other two as and friends. Uh, scary Dog Privilege, which is a single hero that is usually a boring fucking square, or is a cute and otherwise helpless child with four very distinct and interesting characters that actually do something and are cool and are only working together because they all like the hero and would otherwise absolutely loathe each other. Uh, then you have the Cartesian Plane, which are two pairs of characters on opposite ends of a binary with a neutral character in the middle. Uh, the Alpha Couple, the Beta Couple, and the Soy, which is your story's primary focus main couple, a background couple whose characterization usually starts and ends with and friends, um, and are usually pretty stable and happy. And then you have a single buddy that tags along because everyone really wants him to take antidepressants, but he refuses, so instead they make sure that he's never alone for too long. Um, if I if I remember correctly, this is actually one that you see in... Uh, in Shakespeare. Um, I don't think he really does a five-man band with it, but um, that's one that pops up all the time when you look up like this grouping of characters, uh, with the alpha couple being like the couple that the story's focused on. Um, but there's also the quartet that needs a fifth member. Sometimes it's to round out the group. Other times it's like on a temporary thing, or like they find someone injured in the woods and they're like well shit we can't just leave them here and so they adopt them and the next thing you know very much like adopting a feral cat you can't let them back outside so they just live with you now um and finally is the trio that picks up a duo by accident or by happenstance um i think actually one of my favorite examples of this is actually a uh, wasn't it wasn't like a fan animation? It was just like a short little animation on YouTube of it was a trio of characters on a spaceship that picked up basically like a stasis capsule with two people in it, and it turned out that they were pirates, and they kidnapped them, and the people who were flying the ship were already on the run from the Galactic Empire. So all five of them were just like, well, I and mean, shit, I guess we're on the, all on the same side now. Um. So, again, basically any way that you can contrive getting a group of five people together is a five-man band. Usually. And, I mean, already, I'm sure hundreds of examples are darting through your brain right now, and yes, I can see all of them. Pervert. But most people won't consider your group to be a five-man band unless it fits within certain boxes. Even to the point that if you have a group of five people in your story, people are going to put them in the boxes and then get mad at you for being a bad writer if they don't fit because they're the ones that are well-adjusted adults and not you. You know, it's like if you have nine characters for any reason, someone will do the whole, like, alignment chart thing with them. It's fucking stupid. Okay, so now that I've teased you for a while, what are these character archetypes? Well, first, and arguably most important, is the hero. The hero is the leader of the group, and 
if not the main character, is usually pretty important throughout the story. The hero is the reason why the group got together, or is the best qualified to lead them. Uh, also, usually the hero is pretty basic and boring overall, since they're the ones saddled with the responsibility of stupid shit, like being likable and being marketable. Or if they aren't boring, they usually have some hyper-moralizing angst that, play, that plagues them. And while there's not really a wrong way to write one, your hero is usually defined by their competence, experience, talent, charisma, or just plain being important to the story as a whole. And my examples for this, because ultimately I haven't had any character development since the time I realized in second grade that Santa wasn't real, but the Reaper certainly was, are Aang from Avatar The Last Airbender and Robin from Teen Titans. Not Teen Titans Go. The real Teen Titans. The one that talked about hard shit like racism and murder. Next is the Lancer, someone who is less important but whose role gets shit done. They're your hero's foil and oftentimes are a second in command. Lancers are usually the opposite of your hero in a lot of ways and basically fill in their gaps, either literally or metaphorically depending on how sexy you want their relationship to get. Uh, basically, if your hero is a great talker and has a never and will never kill or break a promise even when they shouldn't, even when they should, and has a great ass, then your Lancer is going to be a great fighter that will fucking do it again, and either enjoys killing or is really good at it and has a rockin' set of tits. Makes me weak in the knees just thinking about it. Lancers are a good way to include internal conflict without tearing your group apart, since that would go against the entire point of having an ensemble cast. Lancers also generally fill in the gaps in leadership and make the hero a better person just by putting up with them. Generally speaking, too, despite butting heads, they usually trust each other quite a bit. And my examples are Zuko and Raven. And I know what you and I know what you might be thinking. Did Aang really trust Zuko? And uh yeah, I think he did. Even when they first officially met in person, he tried to get through to him and also tried to help him out. And also gave him, like, counseling and shit when he got captured by him. But by the end of the show, he trusted him to rebuild the Fire Nation. He made him, essentially, the Emperor of the Fire Nation, while the Fire Nation was still poised to take over the planet. Uh, but they were kind of opposites the whole way through, and Zuko did do stuff that Aang couldn't do or wouldn't think. Like, uh, helping Katara out with her revenge quest, because he realized, like, sometimes what you need is to get close to revenge, realize that that's not what you wanted in the first place, and then learn to heal, and Aang did not get that. Anyways, uh, then we have the smart guy, or the brain, and this one is usually the skill monkey of the group. They're really smart and clever, and are a lot more unconventional or has weird magic or technology shit going on with them. And usually they're the foil for the big guy or brawn on top of that. And the brain is usually the biggest nerd, scientist, or most clever strategist or problem solver of the group, or all three. They're also very convenient built-in exposition dumps as they just so happen to have a degree in the exact monster of the week. Or if you want to have a problem that's too hard for anyone to really solve, you could use the brain to deal with the issue in a clever way. 
Also, if you want to demonstrate that your hero doesn't know everything to give them more of that delicious, delicious character depth and angst, then you give that knowledge to the brain. They also tend to be one of the least effective or dangerous combatants in the group, but that isn't always the case. Uh, and my examples would be Sokka or Cyborg, and Cyborg's a good example of uh, one that is still very effective in a fight, um, but no, I would say he's just as effective as everyone else on that team. I think the I think the weak member of the team is Robin, but like, barely. They do a good job in that show of making it not feel like anyone's like too weak to be part of the team. Uh, fourth is the big guy, or the brawn. Uh, they're your team's powerhouse and serves primarily as the biggest, baddest ass-kicker in the story. And because their role is so narrow, they also generally get all the traits that would be weird for anyone else to have. And while that's true to an extent with the brain, it's more pronounced with the brawn. Like making them a good cook, multilingual as fuck, having a weirdly large pants bulge, being left-handed in other sins against God, or having some weird way to talk or activate their powers. They're usually the one that solves problems with their fists in some capacity, being the most physically capable of the entire group, and also tend to be pretty fucking tough. In some stories, too, the brawn can be... In some stories, too, the brawn can be surprising. Like, sure, maybe you'd assume that the fat dude that's a great cook with a tiny anime girl with glasses next to him might be the big guy, but if you fuck with him, then you find out the hard way that the girl next to him is the group's big guy and is carrying around an anime sword that makes Sephiroth's dick drip. And in Atla, this is Toth. Uh, in, in Teen Titans, it's either Starfire or Beast Boy, depending on which one is allowed to be the badass this episode. If you're familiar with the show, they kind of cycle through who gets to be the badass. Um, and usually it's one of those two. And the last role is the chick or the heart. And now, this one clearly has some controversy, because the primary name of the chick comes from back in the day when most five-man bands were four, man, were four men and a woman. But nowadays, because we're on our woke arc that comes right before the post-apocalypse arc, most places are starting to call them the heart. Regardless, their role in the group is to keep them together. They're the team's emotional core and serves as the peacekeeper, the talker, the one that everyone likes, and usually the most mature and moral of the group, or they're naive and innocent. And usually they can also manage to get the group out of a bad situation without using violence. A lot of the time, they're actually the closest to being the most sane and emotionally intelligent in the entire group, like the role of the fool in Shakespeare, who's only an idiot if you exist in the play, and is otherwise just spitting straight facts about how stupid everyone's being. However, they can also border on being way too emotional, uh, to the point that either annoys audiences or that causes more problems in your story. And in Avatar, this is Katara almost to a T. In Teen Titans, again, it's Beast Boy Starfire getting this one again, uh, depending almost entirely on who gets to have the brain cell this episode and which one the writers decide that the other characters like the most. Uh, usually it ends up being Starfire. Um, yeah, I mean, because I'm thinking of one thing in particular of, like, an early episode of, like, oh, yeah, the team would fall apart if it wasn't for Starfire because everyone thinks that she's, like, very nice. <laughs> and, like, these people all fucking hate each other when she's not there. Um, but aside from them, uh, there's also usually a number of supporting characters that can be hangers-on. 
I like the mentor, who is a wise team advisor who can either fill a role in the team or be outside of it, depending on the needs of the story. And this would be someone like Iroh. Or there's the sixth ranger, who is a late add-on to the team that's a bit of an outsider that's either an early antagonist or is a secret enemy. In Atla, this would be Suki, while in Teen Titans, it would be Terra. Again, two different approaches. There's also the tagalong kid that doesn't matter because your entire audience just wants them to shut the fuck up and die because they're supposed to be cute, but it never works out that way. Usually people just hate them. And finally is the team pet, which is the team mascot mostly there for comedy, like Momo and Atla or Silky and Teen Titans. Usually also the team pet doesn't like contribute anything really. I mean, like, if you watch Avatar The Last Airbender, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find a moment where Momo actually, like, helps. <laughs> um, but you might also think that this trope is reserved only for the heroes of your story. And if you thought that, you'd be wrong, fucko. So, when it's the bad guys, instead of a hero, you have a big bad, who's your mastermind and main plot mover. Your Lancer becomes your dragon, who's usually the nemesis of your hero and is fully capable of just motherfucking your big bad in the face and ruining all of their plans, but chooses not to for some reason. Your Brain becomes the evil genius, the one making all the scary doomsday devices, and also doing some Nazi or Unit 731 or Guantanamo Bay shit to people. Brutes take the place of the brawn and are super strong, but also dumb as shit. And finally, instead of the heart, is the kinkbait. Called that, at least by me, because the writer usually loads them up with all kinds of kinks that they are secretly into and wrap them up in a loose canon characterization that's somewhere between a sex demon and a master manipulator. They also tend to turn towards the side of good because they have a heart somewhere in there, and easily become someone's problematic love interest. We're all thinking of different characters right now. And we're all right. Okay. Well, that was a good amount of stuff. And also something that I hope now you can look at and kind of realize how common it is. I mean, five-man bands are everywhere, and that's why this week we don't have a history section. Because this is a trope that has literally always been around in some form. Even after its popularization, after the introduction of shows like Power Rangers of Voltron, to also the modern obsession with slapping on everything, the history would either be really broad and cover way too much, or be way too narrow and be like three sentences. Um, also, I will mention real quick, and again, it's not worth having a whole other uh, section, um, because it's, it's like a sentence. Um, the name Five Man Band comes from a practice in the like 50s, 60s, and 70s of rock bands being five members. The lead singer, the guitarist, the bassist, uh, the drummer, and then the person that plays all the other instruments. Um, and if you assign a five man band archetype to each one of those, they kind of line up. So, as these ensemble teams started to be developed, we also developed, like, we, we just borrowed that directly from rock and roll. So, uh, but let's, uh, let's go over and talk about why you would want to use this. Uh, 
Okay, so largely the reason why you'd want to use this and also why it matters in the first place uh, is the character dynamics. It gives you really solid character outlines to work with and to start telling your story with. But they're flexible enough that you can make basically any character you want, which is what we'll be doing in the application section a little bit, by the way. Uh, just like a general outline. Because uh, something I, I also think would be kind of cool for you guys to be able to do is uh, take those characters and run with them. Uh, but the following archetypes... But by following these archetypes, it becomes a thousand times easier to develop and outline character moments, dynamics, and relationships, while also keeping track of them and keeping them wrangled a lot easier. And also, your audience will still see them as like fully developed, interesting characters. Especially because having so many characters can be really easily overwhelming. It's a lot easier to have these dynamic and, and interesting like concepts, but keep them in well-contained boxes. It also gives you the opportunity to create a well-rounded group that could reasonably handle most problems they end up against fairly well. You know, like if it falls in the core competency of the hero, or the group needs to coordinate to solve a problem, you can make the hero shine or let them be the face of the team. The lancer can be expected to hold their own against the hero, but has the opposite core competency, meaning that they're able to do both some lone wolfing stuff and also take care of things that the hero can't. And if there's some interpersonal conflict or there's a negotiation that needs to happen, the heart can deal with that. Does someone need to in does someone need their entire shit pushed in the back of their throat? Or do you have an entire city falling from the sky that needs to be held up like Talos? Yep, there's the brawn. And is there some weird puzzle box that turns your wiener into a hot dog that's popping in the microwave if you don't press the buttons in the right order that is also gonna end the world soon? Well, then the brain can probably find a way to solve that puzzle. Penis intact. And on top of that, each subgroup of the team is capable of doing their own thing. Like every pair, trio, and quartet multiplies the options you have. I mean, think, there are literally 25 different ways to compose the team of those. Which is 25 separate stock plots and team dynamics. I mean, how about the one where the Lancer goes off the lone wolf and mope, because that's that's what they do, and the heart goes after them to, like, make them feel better and counsel them? How's the hero feel third-wheeling for the cutest couple dynamic ever of the big, strong idiot and tiny smartass? And what do the heart and Lancer get up to on their solo adventure? And this basically gives you a great way to have a great degree of flexibility with decent boundaries and a massive number of team-ups. This also gives you some good character angst if the Lancer and the uh, and the hero are competing for the affection of the heart, which is a common setup. And this even has a little bit of uh, implication for real life. Because basically you take any group of five people working on a group project and you can assign these like roles and help out a ton with the workload and make a very effective team. Like it's actually been studied in workplaces to have like groups of five set up like this. So let's say you're working on presentation. So your hero would be managing the whole thing and keeping everyone on plan, and also be developing the plan. The Lancer is your support guy for the actual physical presentation, and is kind of like pushing back on the plan to make sure that's strong. 
your big guy is the number cruncher where they take all the data and information everyone's working on and put it into the actual presentation. Like they're the person that you uh, bring on if it's like, okay, we just need someone to sit down and pump this out real fast. Uh, the smart guy takes the lead on research and cross-references, and your heart has the responsibility of ensuring the group's communicating and working on the project as well as being like the main speaker. So that way, no one is really doing too much all at once. Okay, so with that, let's uh, teach you how to use these fucking things. Alright, first things first, I'm the realist, but also, your five-man band doesn't necessarily need to have five members. You basically have anywhere between three and eight members in the team, but five is the most common and consistent and consistently able to maintain these tropes. Since having three members kind of makes it hard to balance all five roles, while having eight can really start to split hairs on the differences. Yeah, you know, like for example, you could have your lancer be your big guy, and your heart be your smart guy, but then that doesn't really leave the hero anything that they're uniquely good at, because there's not like a they can't really be the sixth ranger if they're the leader. Or if, you know, you have a group of eight, you suddenly have three more roles to fill. Like, how how exactly do you do that? Because you can do the mentor and six-man ranger. What's the eighth role? So, you know, hey, just a warning. You don't need to have five, but five is the easiest and it's probably the best option if you're coming to me for advice. Now, before we get into the stock characters individually, we should also quickly talk about the group overall. So the most important thing to so the most important thing to make sure of is that the group gets along well and works together. Because if you have a five-man band, they need to make sure that they stay in the group, since that's the core of the story. Which is going to be pretty specific, but just to make sure your audience understands why these people like each other. Because that's going to be very important for their dynamics. Um, You need to essentially not just say, like, well, they stay together for plot reasons. Why do they actually stay together? Because plot reasons could happen. Like, they could pursue the plot separately. They don't need to be together for that. Why are they together? Now, secondly, you also need to give them a reason to keep coming back at the end of the episode. You know, perhaps they're a contract or something like that. Or, they're just friends. They just like each other. Okay, so, part of going through this is also going to be describing why our, our characters like each other. But before that, let's establish why they're continuing to work together for our own little way to have five-man band. So let's say these five fucks were locked up in a magical prison by the big bad, and they managed to escape. And now, they're out for revenge, and also realized, hey, these guys are pretty sweet. So now they all hang out, and they have a barbecue every Friday night. So let's begin with the hero. Uh, Beyond how they do it, you need to make sure that they're the leader. Which means the most important thing to figure out is which means the most important thing to do is figure out why exactly they're in charge. Which can be anything from being res- which can be anything from being respected to head bashing people and browbeating 
two being literally the only one qualified to keep everyone in line. So, in our case, let's make our hero, uh, Gina, the one that broke everyone out of prison. But it's also important to make a character everyone would be willing to follow. So, not only did she use everyone's powers and abilities very well during the escape, but also Gina's a total mom friend. She's a nice lady that cares about everyone, to such an extent that even a complete grump would want to follow her, not just because her fat fucking ass. The other part of writing a hero is just writing any other protagonist. And they're usually pretty capable, a good person with a strong sense of morality, and a mission. And I think, as we've discussed, Gina already has all three of those. So now the Lancer. Lancers, more than anything, need to be the foil to your hero. And this can either be intentional in the story or entirely unintended. Like in the case of Full Metal Alchemist, Roy Mustang is the foil to Edward. Although he never set out to be that, he's just trying to do his own thing, they just ended up foiling each other. And you could have a character set out to be the opposite of the hero because they think it's important to have an opposing opinion present within the group. Lancers are the most likely to butt heads with the hero and the most likely to have their concerns heard, meaning that it's important to address possible audience questions and complaints using the Lancer. And they're also there to prevent the hero's personality from overwhelming and outshining the story and the rest of the characters. Basically, they're there to like remind your audience, like, hey, motherfucker, we're here too. Um, so, to write a Lancer, just list out your hero's traits and thought processes, and then stuff like gender and preferred fighting style if you want, and flip it. So our Lancer, Greg, uh, didn't want to break out everyone because, reasonably, he just wanted to be out of prison already, and didn't want to risk getting locked up again. But after a mix of being convinced by Gina, and also love at first sight, and also that fat fucking ass, he eventually decided to go along with it. And Greg, compared to Gina, is a total grumpy pants that hates Everything when he first encounters it is standoffish with new people, kind of a dick, but has a golden heart and uh, doesn't know anything about strategizing or using the team's powers well, but he's pretty good at beating someone's ass. Which lets him foil off of Gina because he serves as the voice of suspicion and can also be her muscle when he needs to be. He can also be thrown under the bus as the dickhead. I mean, especially because he follows her around like a puppy, so. Then we have our heart. Hearts watch over the team and maintain relationships, so they need to be trustworthy and emotionally intelligent. Everyone likes them, confides in them, or at the very least will listen to or be influenced by them. They need to keep people working together and resolve friction and interpersonal conflicts. You know, they can be something like a mother hen, a supervisor, or the devil's advocate, and are generally likable cooperative, friendly, and good at interpersonal connections. It's also really common to make the heart painfully likable, so that whenever a neutral so whenever a neutral party or a villain is a dick to them, your audience is immediately sharpening pitchforks and preparing their crucifying crosses. Because even so much as telling this heartwarmingly sweet character to choke on a bag of dicks is enough to demonstrate a level of bad guyness you need to write an entire book for. It's very much like a uh, kick the dog moment for your villain of like, if you have a neutral party that's a dickhead to your heart, there's going to be people in your audience braying for blood 
they will want that person to die. Uh, speaking of a lovable heart, our heart will be Madeline, a hippie, happy-go-lucky forest witch. And on top of liking Gina a whole lot for, you know, breaking her out of prison, and also her being a friend bomb, Madeline actually likes all of these little idiots. Madeline actually likes all of these little idiots. Greg, because he's all bark and no bite, is actually very loyal and protective, and she likes that. Our unnamed, for now, smart guy, because they take an interest in all the weird little spells and rituals that Madeline does. And the big guy, because the big guy collects pets like crackheads collect copper wire. I mean, everyone likes Madeline because she's a non-judgmental pacifist with a cute face and the chillest vibes you'll find this far away from Bob Ross. Poor enough for Bob Ross. I mean, also, like, who wouldn't... I mean, that that's a lovable personality right there. Uh, anyways, next is our smart guy. And like the name implies, they're the brains of the group. However, unlike what the trope normally entails, you don't need them to be small, shrimpy, pathetic little nerds that we all know we are. All that's really required for this archetype is to be the most knowledgeable, have the most skills, and or have the most intelligence or cleverness in the entire group. And the best way to demonstrate that is not through techno babble, and I don't care what big literature says otherwise. You want to know the best way to demonstrate intelligence that isn't through big words and pulling MacGuffins out of their ass like they're a femboy at a Scottish rave? Present them with things to solve. Prove they're smart by making the solution to a puzzle that they know, and then put that puzzle in your story. For example, our smart guy, who's actually a girl because I'm building a mostly female team, Bianca, is really, really good at identifying, cataloging, and negating magic. So, stupid to put her in magic prison, but you know, that's bad guys for you. So, during the prison break, Bianca was established as the brain, because at every turn she could examine something like a lock, chuckle to herself and go, oh, I've seen these ones before. She's got to twist the knob here the other way and the whole thing eats its own ass as it just inverts. I mean, she likes Gina because Gina respects her and makes sure that Bianca knows it, something that she's not used to experiencing. And she likes the big guy because Bianca's one of those fucking gays that's dating them. And she also likes Greg because he's a stick in the mud and it's fun to fuck with him. And, I mean, everyone likes Madeline. Finally is our big lady, and the brawn as, and the brawn are classically strong men, but can have a lot of other things you can do with them, like being a gentle giant or a happy-go-lucky shit kicker, or basically just a big child that doesn't know their own strength. I mean, stripping all these story-specific shit around it, what the brawn does is get shit done. While sure they rely on the direction and leadership of the hero, the support of the heart, the brain's planning, and the lancer having their back. They can basically knock down anything the author sets up, particularly in the straightforward brute force kind of way. In a lot of stories, especially fantasy and superhero stuff, this is violence. But if you're following a story about, say, like, cyber warfare, your brawn might just be the team's number one brute force hacker that pile drives your enemy's hard drives by sending 500 pentabytes of Monster Girl hentai until their computers overheat. Elegant? No. Effective? Yes. Concerning? Absolutely. Big guys also tend to be the emotional anchor because of their simplicity. They don't often have much going on besides strong and good, so they have room to be the bouncing board for thoughts, being a good listener, or being emotionally mature. So our brawn is Eileen. Not just Bianca's eye candy, 
Eileen is herself extremely smart, but her focus of intelligence is just how to get a job done fast, how to get stronger, and how to push people's shit in. So, yeah, she's the Aristotle of gains and fucking your shit up. Uh, meaning that, like, meaning that she's, like, the big guy in the sense of, like, she works out scientifically, down to a science, she goes to the gym, and also down to a science, she can beat you in a fight. And she obviously loves Bianca, but she also really likes to compete with Greg and Gina because they're fun to compete with because Greg gets fucking salty and Gina just enjoys the competition. And she also really likes Madeline because, again, obviously. And also, they both really like animals. Alright, well, I mean, that's... That's all I have, so uh, let's get you out of here. I know, I know, no soapbox this week. I literally couldn't think of anything to say on it that wasn't just me rehashing of like, oh yeah, I like it. And also, this is one of those episodes that doesn't really need it. I mean, also, I have ADHD, and it's hours late on the show, and I want to get it out instead of flipping my shit and procrastinating, and then my brain spiraling out of control. Anyways, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um, actuallys, your five-man band lineup that you die to protect, waytat party art, including the uh, hentai form, and anything else you want to tell me. Also follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods, and subscribe on YouTube at waytatpods. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about other topics that are usually a bit more complicated and also things that get me angry, uh, like this week's episode on infrastructure. All right, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, five is better than one. Characters are dicks. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd. I've been your host, William. Good night.